You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Um, it's funny when we get into moments like, you know, when we're praying for one another, and uh, if you were at our family meeting, we're going to bring in two Wednesdays from now, elder-led prayer will be another part of what we do, where we can bring our burdens and share them and talk about what's going on and be prayed for. But it's an interesting thing when we're in environments where we need to be able to pray and ask the Lord for things, uh, to hope, expect, anticipate that He's going to move. And I think that for us, in our kind of flavor of Christianity, sometimes that is one of the hardest things, is to believe God is going to do something. Because we kind of insulate our lives from the, his, needing Him in ways that at least we think that we need Him. Um, and asking him to move in power because we need something that only he can provide. You know, as we get into the text this week, uh, the thought that comes to my mind is just where we stand, you and I stand, both individually and as a faith family, on this spectrum of talking about Jesus. I think on one side of the spectrum you have uh, people who are really tentative, in fact, that's most of us, really tentative about speaking about Jesus to people in our lives. Um, even just being able to say, I'm changed because of Jesus. I mean, I'm not even, I'm not even talking about, uh, you know, sitting down and going from start to finish, Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation and going, let me tell you the whole story and how it all fits together. Not, not that, but just even being able to say, I am who I am because Jesus has changed me. Because then on the other side, you have people who can just, it seems so effortless. People who can evangelize and share and preach, and it's no no big deal. Like, there's people who set goals just personally to go, I want to share Christ once a day. And they seem to do it. And you and I might go, they're crazy. Those people are crazy because they, they're trying it. They're forcing it. They're forcing the gospel into situations. And, but we really know they're not crazy. We just want to try and explain away their behavior so that we ourselves don't have to potentially do the same. Because once I out myself as a Christian, well, now I'm, now I'm known. You know, and we kind of have this funny way where we're like, well, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. I just want them to think I'm awesome. But then when there are opportunities to actually speak of Jesus, so often we don't take it. And I can think time and time again, week after week, where I go, ah, so easy in that moment to just be able to, reflect, deflect any glory or honor somebody is giving to me in being able to bring it back to Jesus who has changed me. Even if somebody goes, man, you know, I love the way dot, dot, dot. You go, you know, the only reason that we can do that is because of Jesus. It doesn't have to be always this intensive thing, but even being able to speak of Jesus like that is so often a part of our lives that we neglect, that we do not nurture, And we spoke this past Wednesday at the family meeting about how we need to be more intentional in just praying for people who don't know Jesus and sharing Jesus with those same people. Because God has both transformed us and given us a message, but we often clam up and get nervous. Like, never in my life do I feel like doing the laundry until it's time to evangelize. I'm like, I really think I need to get the laundry done. Like, I've never done that. Like, I just, it's, 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 I'm just busy. Or, you know, it's like, well, you know, you want to go out and evangelize? I'm like, ah, oh, man, I kind of, not really. No, I think there's just stuff at home I got to do. Uh, and all of a sudden, I'm cooking and cleaning and sweeping and doing whatever else I can to busy myself so that the proclamation of the gospel doesn't happen. That's backwards. 
And you'll find a theme throughout the book of Acts is boldness. Boldness to both to speak of Jesus and what he's done and to receive the consequences of speaking of Jesus and what he's done. So talking about him and then taking whatever comes because you talk about him and that that's okay. We will be following one of those stories today. Now, last week we were in Acts chapter 2 at the very end and talking about the, <clears throat> the community of faith and what they did and how they lived. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. So you might go, well, what happened to Acts chapter 3? Well, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John <clears throat> were headed to prayer, and there was a, a man who could not walk. He couldn't walk from birth. And Peter goes, well, I don't have money to give to you because he was begging, <clears throat> but what I do have is in the name of the Lord Jesus, you should walk. And he walks, and he is, of course, enthused. Well, as he's walking, all these people run up because they know the guy. <clears throat> Begging was a common way to try and earn income in the temple. They would go you know, receive and support one another. So they would see this guy and they go, <clears throat> sorry, I know this guy can't walk. <clears throat> so what's going on? And Peter would begin to talk. Well, that really annoyed some of the religious leaders, and that's where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4. So, three, there was a healing. People see it. Peter begins to preach, and then in chapter 4, there is the statement of what's going on and the arresting of those people, and now they're on trial. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking, this is about the crowd that came up, as they were speaking, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing this man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had uh, commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. 
finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So remember, the healing in chapter 3, on trial in chapter 4, and so this is now the arrest. And where we'll be is in the arrest, and we're just going to see a couple of things as we go through this passage. We're going to break it down in four sections, but just what does the message of the gospel do? That's the first, first idea. How does the Spirit help us respond in those moments? How can you and I be so bold, and then how to... Uh, respond when opposed. How to respond when opposed. So let's just start with those first four verses. The work of God, the message of the gospel, what does it do? Well, it's going to annoy some and attract others. It's going to annoy some and it's going to attract others. Starting again, verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So what do we have? We have the Sadducees. Now you need to know, they don't believe in the resurrection. As a, as a Jewish sect, they do not think the resurrection of the dead happens. So to have Peter and John proclaiming in Christ's resurrection that we too are raised, you can see how that would be a little annoying. Because these people were buddies with the uh, societal rulers of the time, and Peter and John are messing with the status quo. Well, doesn't the gospel message do that? It always messes with what we expect to happen, with the way that life is supposed to go. They don't believe in the resurrection. They're a powerful religious class. They're friends with the Roman government. And the message is changing their hold on power. It's changing their hold on power and control. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to regain power and control. But we notice already in verse 4 that it actually is completely ineffective. Because many believed, and the number of men now comes to 5,000. So we had 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, the number who believed. Now we're, they counted as 5,000 men only, so now we're beyond 5,000 believers in Jerusalem. They cannot stop the message, but they are going to try. So this is that first thing we need to just embrace is that the message of the gospel that has saved us and that saves others is going to annoy people. If we, if we shirk back, if we hide the message because we're afraid that somebody is going to be bothered, then we're missing the point. It will bother people. It'll bother people in power. It'll bother friends. It'll bother family. They go, oh man, I heard about you coming to faith, and that's just kind of, it's just kind of weird, and could you stop preaching? Because at our family gatherings, we like to pretend like we get along, and now we don't. It's annoying. It's frustrating. It bothers people. And yet, what happens? People are putting their faith in Christ. So even though the religious class is annoyed, people are putting their faith in Jesus. This is one of the hardest things for me as a pastor to deal with because like anybody in leadership, really in any place, you don't know what to happen when things just start happening. 
You're like, well, do we, do we try to control it? Do we just kind of let it happen? Is it, what's going on here? And it's a hard thing for them to figure out. The Sadducees go, let's just try and shut it down. Let's just do that. Because at least then we can continue to control it. But you can't control the message of the gospel. That's why this whole series is called Unhindered. That the word continues to go out unhindered. That man cannot stop the advancement of the gospel. And in fact, any attempt that we make to try and stop it doesn't work. It does the opposite. Opposition to the message of the cross, to the resurrection of the dead, it shouldn't be a discouragement for us. It shouldn't be a discouragement for us, but a reminder that God is doing something. That the message of the, of the gospel attracts some, annoys others, that some find it the aroma of life and others find it the aroma of death. It is not to you to determine how somebody is going to interpret the message. That's a work of the Spirit. But the proclamation of that word is for us. The sharing of that word is for us. And just think about the most unreached places of the world where there's great opposition. So often the church is growing so quickly. So quickly. It seems to be the opposite of how we would think. You know, successful things get a lot of attention and everybody wants it to happen, but yet when the world is trying to shut down the message of the gospel, that's when people are the most attracted to it. That's when they're most excited to follow it. That's why sometimes when I think of, you know, when we go, man, I don't know what this world is coming to or where this culture is or where this culture is going, I'm not like, man, it's going to be awesome. I don't really feel that way. But I also go, you know what's going to happen, though, is that the Lord is going to blow off the chaff of people who are just kind of hanging out at church because it's cool, and the ones who actually want to be a part of the faith family will remain, and they're going to hold on tight. And so that it seems to be separating out for those like, like that you can actually... Now, you know, if you read that book, The Rise of the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, it talks about how pe- unreligious people, no religious affiliation, that that part of the world is growing, that part of our culture is growing, like, great, because all that's really telling us is that it's all, now it's okay to say I don't go to church, whereas 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, like, that was a bad thing to say. So now I think what has, what is being exposed is what already has existed. It's just okay to say it. That's a good thing for us, because I want people here who want to be here. I don't want people here who feel forced to be here, because we're weird, and that is okay. We're going to be weird. We're going to stay weird. We're going to look weird. We're going to talk weird. We're going to laugh weirdly, just what we do. So opposition should be expected, and some that God is drawing to himself are going to love it. Others are going to be so annoyed. That's all a part of how God works. In fact, Jesus says, the world's going to hate you because of me. They hated me. They're going to hate you too. So we should expect it. So they put him in prison. That moves us to this next idea in the next uh, seven verses, starting in in verse five. So the next day, they put him in jail, and they're too busy to have a, a trial that night. These are likely some of the same people that had Jesus on trial. And so there we are in verse five, and they are there, and they then come the next day, and they say, hey, by what power or by what name do you do this, this healing? How did this happen? So Peter speaks up. I want you to listen to what he says. 
then Peter, and then if, you, uh, if you're the underlining type or the circling type, circle at filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Because now, now what Peter's about to say does not come from him, but comes from the Spirit. He said, rulers of the people, elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to this crippled man by what means he's been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised, from this, uh, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is not a long gospel presentation, these few verses. But it is sufficient, isn't it? To be able to say, there's nothing that we are doing by our own power. You need to know that. In fact, it is just by the power of Jesus that this happens. And there's a few things that he does in this moment when asked about the power that he replies with this kind of boldness. Because boldness is not about the duration of the things that you say. It's about what you say when you say it. So he goes this. He preaches of Jesus. Jesus healed the guy. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. And then he rebukes them. And you rejected Jesus. You rejected this guy. This is the guy that the builder rejected? Become the cornerstone. You rejected Jesus. And then, just to be incredibly clear, he avoids any confusion about how you were saved. He goes, for there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So in just a couple of sentences, he's out there. Jesus did it. You rejected him. He's the only way to be saved. Again, it's not about duration. It's about what you say. Now, this is great because in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, this is what's going to happen when you're put on trial. This is what's going to happen. Matthew 10, verse 19. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're going to speak or what you're going to say, for what you're going to say is going to be given to you. It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So when Peter speaks and he's filled with the Spirit, what's happening is exactly what Jesus said would happen. This is why there's an interesting kind of tension I feel in this passage for you and for us. Because because our expectation should be that Jesus gives us the same kind of boldness in those moments when we're brought before people. And I have really, because of that and because of what Jesus said, I have zero concern for the people of Genesis Community Church when they are brought before somebody and put on the spot to explain why they are the way that they are. Zero concern. But here's where I do have concern for myself and for us. Do we live in the kind of way that would even put us on trial? I don't think it's about what's going to be said on trial. Jesus says you're going to have the words. But are our lives obscure enough and unique enough and Christ-centered enough that it would even merit being put on trial for Jesus? For people to say, we don't like what you are saying. We don't understand how you live or what you do. And, And so what I mean in that is that it was, it was the healing and the proclamation of chapter 3 that got the trial in chapter 4 when Peter's able to speak up. Are we 
as quick and able to speak about Jesus in such ways that people now must inquire, examine, question who we are. And that's one's harder for me. It's harder for me personally, and I think it's harder for us because there's stuff on the line when we start to do that. Our jobs might be on the line. Our friendships might be on the line. If you're here and you're in school, who wants to be the weirdo Christian in school, right? You do. I want you to be that. We want you to be that. Because it doesn't really matter at age, what age you are, but we have to embrace that. And I think sometimes one of the hardest parts of being a Christian or just living out our faith is that we just have to do this full-on embrace of being awkward. We have to do it. We have to say, yeah, how I live and how I give and how I serve and where I spend my time and what I talk about and what I like, that's weird. And we don't need to try and hold on to parts of this world and then parts of our faith and hope that somehow somebody's just going to see that we're really nice or that we do it differently. I mean, just full-on different. That's what we need to be. Full-on different. To go, yeah, it is weird. I mean, the, the Scriptures give us this word for how we live, which is we're aliens. Aliens. You don't belong. You don't fit in. Everything you do is awkward. That's okay. To have simple answers of, it's really just Jesus. That's okay. That's the best answer. To be able to say, you know what, I'm, I've changed because of Jesus. I want to serve because Jesus has taught me how to serve. Even those moments where we begin to salt our conversations with the name of Jesus would be great. So I'm driving here this morning, and I just upgraded my, you know, my phone software. And so now it has screen time. Oh, Lord. And it tells you how much time you spent on your phone doing different things. Maybe the worst invention ever, because I don't want to know that. <laughs> hey, Hans, you were on Twitter X amount of hours a day. No, 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 no. Delete, delete. How do I turn off the screen time function? And so, but, but here's the embarrassing part. It starts to audit how you spend your time. And it tells you, this is how you spend your time. And I thought to myself, if I audited my words, my speech, not what screens I'm looking at, but just how I spoke, and then there was somehow a report back, how often would Jesus be the center of my conversations? How often would Jesus be what I talk to people about? with really no concern for how they responded. Honest answers wouldn't be a big part of that week. Other conversations, other things, that would, that would take up more time. And yet, you can't really escape, and I know Luke is not giving us every conversation and every moment of every situation that these disciples were in forever. But it is hard to escape their love for Jesus, their knowledge of Jesus, and their boldness to speak the name of Jesus. You can't escape it as you read through the book of Acts because they have no other solution for life. How does this work? Jesus. Jesus rose. 
Jesus rose, so I have to tell you. Jesus rose, so I want to see this person transformed. Jesus rose, so it's going to change how we do church life. As we get into Acts chapter 10, it just distorts everything. It messes with every category Peter had. Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem Council. Now they're going, we have to figure out a new way to live life because the ways that we're used to living life don't fit anymore because God has brought us into a new family and he is doing a new work and we need to figure that out. And so they're working these things out together. I think so often our conversations don't reflect the gospel of Jesus because we don't know how the gospel actually affects what we do day in and day out. How we spend our time, the conversations that we have, where and how we spend our money, the way in which we talk to one another, those don't saturate our minds and our hearts, and we don't know how trusting in Jesus relates to it. So we just kind of compartmentalize our faith life, and like we get this whole different lexicon for how we go to church. Everyone's brother, everyone's sister. We have this way of being able to communicate to one another in this environment or when we're in our community group, and then we kind of get out of it, and we've created these two ways of talking and these two ways of engaging. But that's not really who we are. There's one way. It's Jesus. And Peter shows us this, and he's not afraid to say to these, these folks, there is no other way. So this is when you're with your family or when you're fr- with your friends, and they say to you, hey, So are you telling me that you think that Jesus is the only way? That you're telling me that you think somebody else who grew up in another part of the world with another belief system, you're telling me you think that if they don't put their faith in Jesus, they will not be with God for eternity? You say, I do. And I don't say that because I think it's right all the time or because I think it's awesome. It's because I believe the same thing for myself. I believe the same thing for you. And I clearly see the scriptures say that. There's no room for like the, well, what about the person who's never heard, who's over here, never done this? Like, can they be saved too? Peter in Acts 4.12 would say, nope. It is the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus that saves us. And so when we are cornered and they go, so you're telling me that you believe it's in that moment that you just kind of go, go, this is going to be weird. Yeah, 100%. And I don't even know how all of that works out, but what I read and what I see and how I was saved is because of Jesus. So yeah, that is what I believe. And that's okay. That's okay. It's another reason that we need to gather together as a faith family to remember these things, to hold one another accountable, because as we kind of try to live this life by ourselves, it doesn't work, does it? We need other people who are talking about it, who are helping us, encouraging us, challenging us, praying for us, giving us advice on how to talk to the fuck about Jesus, and people that we can confess to when you're like, man, I totally blew it, totally blew it. Had an opportunity to, to reflect my Savior, and I didn't take it. That's going to happen. So when we're around other brothers and sisters, then we can work these things out better and more fully. Now, as that continues, I love what happens in verse 13. Because in verse 13, I think what's going on is they see something going on in the disciples, but they didn't realize that they were two of the twelve. They didn't know these guys had walked with Jesus. And so what's happening is they see the boldness of Peter and John, and they recognize that they were uneducated common men, what, are, what an insult. They were astonished. But what they were saying was, you're speaking like people who know way more than you should know. We know people in your profession, and we know people who live life like you do, and they do not talk like this. 
They don't act like this. But what happens? The end of verse 13. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That a close relationship with Jesus is how you acquire the boldness necessary to talk about Jesus. I say this to my kids. I say this to anybody who listens. You talk about the things you love. It's not hard. Like, there's no, it's like you talk about things you love. You love your family. You talk about your family. There's a reason that you, when you're sitting by a, on a plane with somebody, like, you want to see pictures of my kids? You want to see pictures of my grandkids? You want to see this? Like, you, want it, you want to talk about people you love and things that you are proud of. Those saturate your life and your mind and your heart. Peter and John have been transformed by Jesus. They don't have another way to talk. We remember from the early ministry of Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law was ill, and Jesus healed her. So we know Peter was married. We know he had life to live and things to do. But what did he do? He spoke of Jesus. He wasn't really concerned. He's already on trial. He's not concerned about his reputation. When you put your faith in Jesus, you check your reputation at the door. It's gone. It doesn't even matter because the world is how it was formed. And so you don't need to bring it with you. Paul, the apostle, we get to his conversion and we see his letters. He says the same thing. He's like, hey, listen, I have a pretty good pedigree. I was pretty smart. I did a lot of stuff. I was super zealous. You know what? Gone. It's nothing. That's what Peter's able to do. He walked with Jesus. We need to remember this, is that no education level, no social attainment, no specific class of citizenship is required for boldly talking about Jesus. The prerequisite is just being with him. That's it. There's nothing else. Just being with him. And so the Sanhedrin's trying to figure out what they're going to do, right? Verses 14 to the end. This is essentially the tension. We know something awesome has happened and we can't deny it. But we also don't want the name of Jesus to get out. That's their tension. This is great, but we can't really say it's great, so we're going to have to find a way not to. And this is what the world does. This is what we do. Like Sometimes they go, I can't deny that you have been changed. I can't deny that you are a different person. When your family sees you after you come to faith, they're like, you're not the same person. But they're going to try. Remember we talked about how people try to explain away what God does. So they're going to try and explain it away by just silencing it. Because they don't want to lose a handle on power. How many of you, maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian, or maybe this is a part of your testimony, where you go, if I believe this, it means that I have to give something up. What would these leaders have to give up but the corner of the market of the religious class in Jerusalem? And their pride's not going to let them do it. Their pride is not going to let them do it. So what do they do? They say, get outside, and we're going we're to talk about it. Verse 16, what shall we do with these men? A notable sign's been done. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further, because we think that we can stop it, but in order that it can spread no further among the people, let us warn them not to speak anymore in in this name. So that's going to be a good idea. So come on over and don't speak about it. Peter and John say, verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than the God you judge. We, though, verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
You think what we're doing is wrong, rulers? Fine, judge it. You want to put us on trial? Put us on trial. Put us on prison? Put us on prison. That's fine. That's your call. I'm not going to stop talking about it because you told me not to. That's not how it works. Why? Because the Sanhedrin isn't their Lord. Jesus is. You don't do what the world tells you to do because they go, hey, could you talk about Jesus less? Not really. I can't really talk about Jesus less. In fact, I know I should be talking about him more. So less does nothing. Being covert and trying to act like, well, maybe they'll just kind of stumble into the fact that I know Jesus and that's going to be awesome and I'm waiting, you know, and I'm going to pounce be like, no, it's really because of Jesus. And they're like, what? I had zero idea. Like, again, embrace being weird. You judge if, if you think what we're doing is wrong. We're not going to stop talking about it. It's a bold statement. And that's what we need. So I would say it like this. Don't think that the world can silence you in the Christ you serve. Everything that happens to those who follow Jesus, Jesus said would happen. The world hates them. They're put on trial. People are annoyed. People are frustrated. That happens. So do not be concerned about what lengths the world tries to go to to quiet you. Because the gospel goes out and the name of Jesus spreads. Don't be overly concerned about the consequences of speaking out because they are not for you. You never know what's going to happen. And so again, you just step into weird. Embrace weird. It's going to be way better than trying not to. Remember this, you are a citizen of heaven and your ways and your thoughts and your words will stand out. I mean, have you ever been sitting somewhere and then the table next to you, maybe you're at a restaurant, the table next to you, they're speaking in a different language. What do you do? You perk up. I don't know, you, you, people hear it speaking like that. Especially if it's maybe one that you wouldn't generally hear spoken in the spring area. That's different. You know, what language are you speaking? What's, what's going on here? What's going on? Like, like that, that, you can do that. That's you, folks. You might speak English. You look weird. The things you talk about, the things you care about, the things that you love, the things that you think about, they're all different because the Lord has said to us, you are not a citizen of this world. Your passport might say one thing, but I say another. And so we hold on to it tightly. Can we embrace it? I think we can. I think we will. Can we make Jesus the center of what we do? I think we can and I think we will. Because the more you embrace who you are in Christ and what he's done for you, the easier being awkward becomes. And so often there's that moment where we feel like we have to save face. Like, oh gosh, I don't know. If I say something here, though, they may hate me. Okay? That's something Jesus said is going to happen. If I say something here, it may get awkward. Okay. Do you know how many awkward moments Jesus may have had? When they're like, well, you know, think about the rich young ruler. What must I do to achieve eternal life? And he's ready for a pat on the back, and Jesus is kind of like, just obey everything. Done it. Check. What next? Oh, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And everyone's just staring at the rich young ruler, and he's trying to awkwardly leave the situation sad because he's not going to do that. Following after Jesus is weird. Saying, yeah, I serve a Lord, and he's in heaven, and he's going to return one day bodily, and he's going to resurrect the dead. I mean, try that on for size. 
He tells me how to live, and he tells me what's most important, and he loves me, and he died for me, and he was perfect. Actually, no, there's the Son, and there's the Father, and there's the Spirit. I mean, as you try to get into it, you are bizarre. So just be it, and be it gladly. Because living in the middle really is no fun. In fact, it's just frustrating. It's just frustrating. And what I love about you and I love about this church is that I see in you that. A desire to just embrace who you are in Christ. Yeah, we adopt kids in droves. I mean, that's how I feel Genesis is. (laughs) We do it. It's not, right? It's not just because we want kids to have families. It's because we want to reflect the heart of God. There's a difference between those two ideas. Both are important, and both are true. But ultimately, what drives the heart of adoption for a Christian? That we were adopted. For all who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. They were not born of the flesh. We're born by faith, the right to be children. And so we reflect these things. Why does your church adopt so many people? Because God has adopted us. And we know of no better way to reflect that heart than by doing the same for others. That's okay. I don't know of another way to do it. Why are you guys so generous? Why don't you just keep your money for yourself? Because that's stupid. I mean, like, why would I, want to, why would I want to hoard for myself when God has given me so much? I don't want to hold on to my own stuff. I have been given everything. So why don't I give away and serve and love and support? Yeah, absolutely. Embrace it. So what I would encourage you to do, even this week, I am confident God will provide you the opportunity to speak of Jesus. I'm confident of it. But I would encourage you to do that week when that spirit prompts and you're like, this is an opportunity. I don't have to go all the way to home plate on this gospel presentation. I can just go, you know what? Jesus has changed me. And I believe he can change people. It could just be that. But when that opportunity comes this week, I'm going to pray for us, pray for me, and pray for you that we can take it. And that we can talk about what matters most without concern for how it makes us look, without concern for what it does to our reputation, to our friendships, to our family, that we say it because it's true and we're citizens of another world. Let me pray that for us now. Father, when we see the boldness of Peter and John and we recognize what they do and how they do it, we know, Lord, full well, Oh, well, that the same Spirit that empowered Peter and empowered John to be bold is the same Spirit that resides in all who have faith. That the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us and desires to make Jesus known, Lord. So I pray for every relationship that exists within this room and every circle of influence that they might have every interaction that they might have this coming week, and I would ask God that you give us opportunities to speak boldly the name of Jesus, regardless of consequence. That, Lord, we are able to do this because you have called us from death to life, darkness to light, and you have given us the Spirit that makes Jesus want to be known and seen in this world, God. We praise you for that. So, Lord, embolden us 
that we could say the same thing that we hear Peter and John saying. We don't know how to talk about life in any other way than making Jesus the center of it. And where we are weak, Lord, encourage our hearts. And where we have failed, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. And where, Lord, we might be able to be victorious, we know it's only because of you and what you give us in your spirit. So guide us this week as a church family to boldly proclaim the message of Jesus and the transformation that comes through him. That there is salvation in no other name. Might you lead us there, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.